Our meditation for this third Sunday in Lent is on our psalm for today, Psalm 4. Hear the word of our Lord. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Now, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A few hundred years ago, the Catholic Church condemned a mystic named Miguel de Molinos and threw him in prison. He was declared such a dangerous heretic that in spite of cultural support, he was held in jail until the day of his death. Though he was an ordained priest, educated by the Jesuit order, his writings became popular with Protestants, and much of his practices are still used today. And what was that practice? Well, it was called quietism. For Miguel de Molinos, the Christian meditation he preferred consisted of absolute passivity in contemplation. The idea was not to be an active participant in your relationship with God, doing whatever he wanted you to do, but instead to be a passive recipient of whatever God wanted to do to you. This kind of mysticism is different from the Christian meditative practices of old, a mutation away from other ideas. Like Brother Lawrence, author of The Practice of the Presence of God, the quietist is supposed to maintain an awareness of our Lord and his life. Unlike Brother Lawrence, this did not include holding such an awareness while going about your daily life. To the contrary, when engaged in quote-unquote quiet prayer, you are not supposed to do anything at all. Like Teresa of Avila, author of The Interior Castle, the goal was contemplation of our Lord. Unlike Teresa of Avila, quietism did not involve rational thought whatsoever. In fact, Molinos thought of sensible meditation as detrimental to the project of contemplation. I suppose the quietist was permitted some hazy and unfocused thought of God, 
but nothing actually specific, let alone Avila's imagined crystal castle. And like the hesychasts of Eastern Orthodoxy, the idea is to be less aware of yourself and more aware of our Lord. Unlike the hesychasts, Molinos essentially advocated for self-annihilation. The idea was to abominate one's own existence. Now, mysticism by itself is not necessarily evil if it is properly ordered and done in the way God's word tells us to do it. But the tendency Christians have had these past 2,000 years is to go too far or to go outside of what the word tells us to do. In the case of quietism, Molinos went so far off the rails that the summary of his doctrine in Colestis Pastor, the papal bull condemning him, it sounds far more like Buddhism than Christianity. Now, to be certain, some have claimed that Molinos never taught this, but when the bull was read, he readily admitted that these were his teachings. Now, if his doctrines were so poisonous, why then were they so popular? His spiritual practices and mindset taught people to delete themselves as though existence itself was sin. Yet it spread so quickly and so powerfully that he takes a lion's share of responsibility for the invention of Quakerism. If you know a Quaker, they're descended in part from Molinos. Before he died, his book on quietism, The Spiritual Guide, was published in five languages and made it all the way across Europe. What on earth made his odd, semi-Eastern takes on religion so appealing? How could any Christian see self-annihilation as a good goal to pursue? From our psalm today, I would wager that the explanation is twofold. First, Molinos had a point in highlighting a kind of prayer that we ought to engage in more often. He simply took it too far. Second, people latched on to taking it too far because we all love lies. Let's tackle that second point first. The psalmist, King David, writes... O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Now, some commentaries assume that the king was addressing people who were questioning his rightful rule. They believe that the fourth psalm is some sort of defense of the crown, saying, God loves me and protects me, therefore do not question my authority. This goes against the inscription written before the first verse. To the choirmaster with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. That is actually a part of inspired writing. These inscriptions are found in the earliest manuscripts, and though there is uh, some difference in translation, they can be found even in the Septuagint. Now, why is this note important? Because this means that the intended audience, the ones to whom the choir master should be speaking, is the congregation. 
Psalm 4 directs the choir master or cantor, Asaph, to ask the people in the congregation why they turn the orator's honor into shame and why they love lies. And if this is directed at believers, then it is directed at you, beloved. The psalmist wants to know why you love vanity and deceit, why you turn the honor of Scripture's author into shame with your embrace of falsehood. Because you do. You might hate that you love falsity, but you do. We all do. As fallen sinners in a fallen world, we gravitate toward deceit like moths to a flame. And why is that? It depends on the circumstances. We love lies because they get us what we want. That's how most advertisement works, it seems. Always with the implicit lie that the product a company is selling will make you happy. We love lies because we feel righteous when we call someone a liar. If it were not for this easy accusation, maybe then we would have to pursue real righteousness and we don't want to do that. We love lies because it makes us feel good to get one over on someone else. Extra points if we delude ourselves into thinking that lying was the right thing to do. Of course I lied to that customer so that he would buy the warranty that he did not need. I need that promotion. Of course I lied to my mother about where I was. I am protecting her poor heart. Of course I lied about that man. He's a bad man, so he deserves his reputation ruined. And of course, we don't have to know something is a lie in order to love it. Many people follow after false doctrines because they have ulterior motives. They don't care whether it is true or not, only that it serves the purpose they want it to serve. How many people follow after false religions on account of selfishness? How many people left Christianity in favor of atheism just because they wanted sexual pleasure? How many people claim to support this or that political ideology just on account of the material promises it makes, even if the ideology itself is silly? In the case of quietism, I suspect Molinos found so much support because his farcical version of Christianity presented a sanctified-sounding offer of salvation by doing absolutely nothing. The man promised you that you did not have to do good works. You did not have to have right doctrines nor receive the sacraments, and you did not have to resist temptation because all of these are active and therefore sinful. In so doing, he gave lazy people everywhere just the right excuse to avoid doing good, and they got the excuse to do the bad that they should avoid. Why, I simply cannot help my neighbor or listen to my parents. That would violate the interior life. Boy, am I glad I don't have to do those things anymore now that I believe this. We lie to ourselves to accept these lies, of course, for our own sinful, selfish benefit. Now, the choir master sings from the perspective 
of a godly man, one who has total faith in our Lord. King David's experience is clear from the text, one which all godly people hear and relate to. You have given me relief when I was in distress. You have put more joy in my heart. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Men sinfully love lies because of what lies give them, and because they expect to get some good out of it. This dishonors God and dishonors those who have shown us the truth of God's word. But our Lord, seeing those who have faith in him, blesses believers with relief, joy, and safety. He is commenting on the typical appeal to God, who will show us some good, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And King David is saying that merely asking for God's blessing for some selfish reason is not going to give you these things. For that matter, neither will seeking falsehood. God gives graciously to those who trust in him. And in many cases where he does not give us the material things that we would hope for, he gives us the more valuable things. Again, relief, joy, and safety, in addition to other markers of advanced character. And to love a lie is to fall for a lie. If you engage in deceit or false witness or fraud or whatever the manifestation of it, you are a sucker yourself. You fell for it. You believed the lie that says God doesn't love you, that he will not provide for you and all your needs, and that he does not care. But my friends, faithful Christians, stand for the truth, because the truth himself loves us and cares for us. It is for this reason that St. John writes, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Instead of loving lies, we are called to love the truth who loved us first. Now I mentioned that Molinos had a point. Indeed, he emphasized, to the point of idolatry, a kind of prayer that is woefully ignored by most Protestants today. Well, provided one falls into the entirely too busy to pray camp. We often think of ourselves as being too righteous to pray from the heart, too busy to pray at all, and far too learned to actually sit down and depend on God to care for us spiritually. But with that kind of arrogance, people fall off the wayside and break down, unable to deal with the accumulation of emotions, stress, and other burdens which afflict us all. When Protestants look at mysticism, if they do not have this knee-jerk reaction to the concept of mysticism entirely, some will end up falling into heresy, with Molinos there waiting for them. The discovery of quietism excuses the twisted neo-Lutheran feeding tube doctrine, just wait around until you die theology. Hyper-passive, 
receptive, paralyzed faith results from this, all because we were given a false dichotomy between rejecting mysticism entirely and forsaking all prayer on the one hand, and feeling as though we must become heretical practitioners of ugly prayers on the other hand. If only they would read the fourth psalm and internalize the right kind of mystic practice, the real quiet prayer. You see, beloved, our Lord lays out a practice here which helps cure our love for lies, and which helps bring us to a greater, sanctified, and active Christian life. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your bed, and be silent. This is quiet prayer in its purest form. Let us look at how it works and deepen our prayer life. Quiet prayer starts at a place of rest, with the psalmist bringing up beds as an example. From here we can allow ourselves room to feel. By be angry, the Hebrew term is best understood in terms of agitation, not rage. You have emotions. Go ahead and feel them. But the warning is to not sin as a result of that agitation. Emotions are not truth, and nor do they tell us truth. They are merely the heart's response to everything going on around us. So King David writes that we are to ponder on our beds because a place of rest keeps us from flying off the handle and sinning in response to our feelings. Keeping the prayer quiet, being completely silent, keeps us from sinning with our mouths. But further than that, restricting the prayer of quiet to a restful location and being silent helps us to actually process things. Molinos understood quiet as mental and emotional quiet, having an absence of thought. Contrary to his opinion, God's word invites us to both feel and think. Process your emotions, think about what is bugging you, get at the heart of your agitation, and the entire time permit the Holy Spirit to deal with it. You do not have to talk through it, nor do you have to move around. Try instead to lay there and give your burdens to God. St. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. If you never sit there or lay there, and identify the burdens that you have, how could you possibly cast them upon our Lord? If you are always so busy, with your mouth flapping, your gums moving up and down, talking and talking and talking, or if you're always walking around and moving around, unable to actually sit down and meditate on these things, how can God exalt you when you are arrogantly believing yourself to have it all figured out. 
The prayer of quiet here in Psalm 4, it is not a mysticism of trying to become one with God. It is not reaching for theosis. The Bible does not give us some weird blueprint for that. Instead, it uses a mystic type of prayer like this, the quiet prayer, to reorient our hearts and our minds to God, to deal with our emotional issues, to help us in our stresses, to ponder the actual burdens we have and to give them to God. Biblical mysticism, rightly understood, is God and the believer doing maintenance of the soul together so that the believer can lead an active life. The fifth verse of our psalm says, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, of course, this would mean the sacrifices of cattle and sheep, of birds, all sorts of offerings. But for the Christian today, whom King David models the Christian life for us with this kind of sacrifice, we are told to offer our entire lives as a living sacrifice unto God, Romans 12, verse 1. Engaging in this quiet prayer, or what I'm going to call and define as biblical, right mysticism, if we do that, then we operate correctly as believers to live as sacrifices for God. Not with the passive, lay-there-and-wait-to-die lifestyle of Miguel de Molinos or the Quietists or the Neo-Lutherans, but to the contrary, an active, loving, powerful Christian life granted that vitality by our Lord using this kind of practice. And that makes it that much easier for us to put our trust in the Lord as he has healed and helped our hearts. Now the peace of our Lord, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.